Welcome to the Avos Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm somewhat of Nick. <laughs> uh, I am, I am because of my OCD, I'm coming in to help Dan with the intro because I've never missed an episode and I shall not. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know how long I'm going to last. So if you see me bow out in this episode, I do apologize. It got me, Dan. It got me. So yeah, the vid, the vid got him. <laughs> the vid, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As we say, I need to stop licking things in public, so it's okay. <laughs> Don't lick yeah. the gas pump handle when you put it back, Nick. Ah, uh, well, you know, for what I'm paying for per gallon, I'm getting every bit out of it. Those busy right? Costco's. This shopping cart is mine. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, we yeah. won't keep it here too long. Uh, I start. Well, as yeah. usual, we'll start with our Carter, Carter Automotive Group tip of the week, and uh, this one was a request actually, as we were talking uh, about brake fade with somebody the other day, and uh, they asked what the optimal brake temperatures are. And we've actually covered this before. To be really clear, we've talked about brake temperatures and brake compounds and things like that. But they said, yeah, but what's the variance? Like, what do I normally drive at? What's a normal brake temperature? And I was like, oh, we've talked about boiling points and we've talked about brake fade, but we haven't talked about like what's normal. Uh, yeah, don't touch your rotors if you like your fingerprints, or if you suddenly need to commit a lot of crimes, maybe touch your rotors, I don't know. But the average temperature for your brake rotors on just normal driving is 390 to 410 degrees Fahrenheit for just normal driving on the average car. Obviously, that changes with different brakes and things like that, but that's the average all up according to our friends at EBC Brake Pads. Now, if you look at brake pad temperatures, that can be pretty deceiving as well. Because if you look at like racing brake pads, they're like up to 1500 degrees, 1650 degrees Fahrenheit is their operating temperature. Okay, that's not the peak optimum temperature. That's what that's how hot they can get without like melting and becoming one with the rotor. And so you don't want to go that hot. And on really expensive race cars, you can actually monitor your brake temps in real temp or real time, excuse me. And they do often do, if you if you watch a quick pit stop, they'll often do a little quick instant laser read of your brake rotors. Yeah, even autocrossers do that. It's really, you'll see them do that all the time at Pikes Peak. Kind of a cool thing you probably haven't noticed before, but you, once I've talked about it, you'll probably see it. But uh, the average race brake temp that you're trying to stay between is between 550 and 650. And most even really high end boiling points on fluids is about six to 620. The most popular one that I see people use here a lot is uh, Motul RBF 600. And as the name implies, it's 600 degrees Fahrenheit. It's actually 594, but they call it 600. And so just keep that in mind. If you do do track days a lot, changing your fluid is something you need to do a lot. Changing your pads is something once you've done a couple of times on most cars is something you can do pretty quickly. Some of them even just drop in and drop out, change the pins, pull them in, pull them out. Super quick thing to do. And you won't, you don't have to worry about that brake fade on the track. And you can go back to normal pads that don't squeal and grind and make you worry that something's wrong with your car for normal day-to-day -day driving. So just a quick overview on brake temps. You know, Dan, as you were talking about that, all I was thinking about was Ford versus Ferrari when they were changing the rotors, like, during the race. I'm like, oh, who's who got the short end of the stick? Like, I need you to grab that and pull it off the car, please. So, yeah. <laughs> Giant, like, uh, what, are, what do they call those those leather gloves that are for, like, handling raptors? <laughs> absolutely. Raptor gloves, yeah. Yeah, a little easier absolutely. than that now, but yeah, you're absolutely correct. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Avance fans, I, I wanted to stay around for the tip of the day and, and put in this, but uh, this is going to be an awesome episode coming up. So I'm going to bow out and uh, I'm going to let Dan introduce this week's guest. I'll see you next week. All right, Nick, you feel better. Thanks for joining in for the beginning of this. All right. Well, sorry to see Nick go for his first non-full episode ever. Uh, our guest this week is Fabrice Cotiba. Uh, you are the let's see, head of motorsports, general motorsports division for Alpenstars USA, correct? Uh, actually, I'm the um, U.S. National Sales Manager, so I kind of manage the brand. Um, but I kind of not only deal with our dealers 
deal with products, obviously. So I kind of oversee the whole brand in this department in that respect, as well as uh, getting involved with the race guys. So, Very cool. Alpen Stars um, listeners, I, you've got to check out the go to the page for this. Go to the Avance page, go to our episode page. And uh, as promised, I sent Fabrice an email a while back. When we, when we talked about Alpen Stars, and I will post a photo of me from 20 years ago where I was representing the brand well. And I gave him a disclosure that my boots and pants hadn't arrived in this photo, but I am like, I think I'm 21. I think I'm 21 or 22 in the photo. And I'm on my RC51 looking 20 years ago. And Alpen Stars, head to toe. I'm a longtime brand fan. I even tried to get a job at Alpen Stars back in Wisconsin way back in the day when they were. Uh, via Parts Unlimited back in the motorsport, motorcycle division. So I'm a longtime brand fan. I love all your stuff. So welcome to the well, show. I, yeah, well, thanks for having me. And, you know, I, I just, I love hearing those stories, right? Um, because this brand has, you know, over the last 60 years become such a mainstay in motorsport and top tier athletes um, in terms of what it represents, right? So we're such a unique brand in that respect. Um, uh, and, you know, just we're, we're passionate from the bottom to the top and the top to the bottom, you know, family owned business and, um, you know, motor racing is something that, um, you know, we live and breathe every day and we want to be the best at what we do. And those are the kind of people that we attract, right? You know, the ones that want to excel in, in motorsports. So it's, uh, it's really exciting to be part of a team, you know, and I say that, you know, um, wholeheartedly because this company, like I said, is, is, is second to none in that respect, you know. I've been in this industry 30 years plus, and I can honestly tell you, um, I've, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's a blessing, you know, you, you, it's a rarity in the, in today's world, uh, to have these type of passionate people around you that are here to support you. Yeah. I say Alpha Stars has been a mainstay in almost all motorsports, excuse me, throughout my lifetime, pretty much. I know they got their start back in the sixties. I think Alpen Stars, the name Alpine, Al, Alpine Stars. They start, you guys started making Alpenster. The company started making ski boots originally, right? Was the original? No, 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 no. It was actually, uh, you know, ironically, I get that question all the time, but uh, it actually started with motocross boots um, that were being handmade. And, you know, Roger DaCosta was one of the initial riders. And, you know, it kind of grew out of that. I mean, it was a small family owned business in Italy. And then uh, the current owner, the, the son of, of the, the founder, uh, and his wife uh, currently run the company, came to the U.S. and, you know, it's always been motocross. And then it's sort of evolved into road racing, um, obviously uh, act active wear in motorcycle. Um, and then we've grown into karting. We've grown into auto racing. Uh, obviously, top drivers um, come to us. And that's kind of what I kind of manage for North America is the auto and the karting side. So whenever F1 is here, IndyCar, uh, sports car, IMSA, SRO, NASCAR, um, that's that all falls under me. So I get to deal with a lot of cool people in that respect. And, you know, with the best of the best, the elite, oh my God, I almost sound like uh, that's some part of Top Gun here or something, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's just, like I said, it's it's an amazing brand and it's constantly evolving and pushing the envelope in terms of safety, in terms of the performance of the product. You know, I mean, we are, you know, almost OCD to the point that, um, you know, the products that we develop are definitely proven um, in, you know, the, the most stringent environments. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll just kind of refer back to um, a proving point of some of our safety equipment on the auto side. You know, if you saw Roman Grosjean's Formula One accident uh, a couple of years ago, 
you know, he was in Alpine Stars, uh, you know, and uh, him along with other drivers throughout history, um, you know, their lives have been saved because of the technology that's, uh, that goes into that product. Um, and it's the same product you buy on the shelf. What he wears is no different than what you're going to go into an Alpine Stars dealer and pick up if you're racing a car, you know, as an amateur today. So, yeah, it's all available to you. It's nothing super special that the athletes get. You know, it's it's there's definitely a trickle down thing. So, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, all maybe available. fitted a little bit more, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, those guys are slightly slimmer than you know than we are. <laughs> uh, <you know>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, like I said, I've been. I remember when I first started getting. Alpha Star stuff. I still have my original Tech Eight motocross boots uh, that I've resold probably three times, and I love them. They fit like a glove. They got better the more I wore them. Actually, they still the, the gloves, the boots. I swear by. Um, but yeah, I've I've had the experience of going down in Alpha Stars leathers on the motorcycle side of it, and uh, walked away from that. So I was quite thankful for that. <laughs> thank you, Alpha Stars. Whoever back there needs to hear that. Another thank you letter from many of us who have crashed in your gear. Yeah, well, um, just like innovative products that we have, you know, regarding motor uh, motorcycle riding and racing is, you know, our tech air system, right? We were the first to develop that airbag system for riders, um, you know, and it's a technology that we've made available to other brands, right? So you can put a tech air bag system in another manufacturer's suit, right? Because I mean, that's what's important to us, right? You know, we didn't lock it up with some patents and all this other stuff saying, oh, it's only Alpine Stars. Look, you know, the goal is safety for everyone. You know, we share those technologies with the industry. Uh, and that's how we remain at the forefront. So yeah, it's uh, it's nice when you're walking through the airport and you're wearing an Alpine Stars jacket and I'm towing my bag full of stuff and people are like, wow, I was riding and I went down and I had your stuff. So I hear these stories all the time and you know, it's it's pretty interesting, right? Because you know, we look at our business and we're like, oh, we're not saving lives, but in a certain way we are, you know? So it's, uh, it's very humbling when you see that, especially if it's a wife or a mother or, you know, a father or even a person who's like, man, I had your boots and I would have lost my leg if I hadn't had it, you know? So it's... Uh, yeah, it's humbling to say the least. Yeah, I can attest to all that. I would have had a few skin grafts if not for some Alpenstar gear. So <laughs> appreciate that. What is your what's your favorite uh, piece of gear uh, that you guys have come out with? Like, what's your your flagship right now? That the one that you think is just everybody should just look at. I mean, the airbag system, like I said, is pretty amazing. That stuff's been around for a little while now. It seems still new. If you're not in the motorcycle industry, you probably haven't seen motorcycle airbag systems. Very cool, but beyond that. Yeah, I mean, that that continues to evolve in its algorithms and its capabilities and its speed and things like that. On the auto side of on the auto side of things, which is basically what I'm in charge of, um, you know, I'm pretty excited about our new tech vision program, which is new suit technology that's fully printed. You know, it's not sublimation, but to explain it in layman's terms, it's basically, you know, we have now created a technology where we print all the logos and the colors into the material unlike traditional way of doing it through embroidery or stitching different panels together um, or even heat transfer, which was kind of the latest craze of the last 10 years. Um, the Tech Vision program is a fully custom made to measure uh, auto racing suit. It meets the latest FIA requirements, which are 88, 56, 2018, and it meets the latest SFI NASCAR of 3.4. Um, again, it's industry leading technology. We were I think we were actually the last company to introduce it uh, in terms of people that were in that market sector. Um, but again, it outperforms a lot of the, the competition by up to 70% in terms of breathability and lightweight. Uh, and again, it is a custom suit program that has never been offered through Alpine Stars direct to the consumer. It's only been through our quote unquote teams and athletes. So if you were, you know, club racing or doing IMSA or you're, you know, a semi-pro as we call them, a gentleman driver, you never had access to that. You had to be the Schumachers of the world. 
to have a custom Alpine Star suit. Now it's available to you. And again, same technology that's being used in WEC, in IMSA, uh, in F1, uh, Paris to Dakar, you know, and now into into Baja now. So we've we've really kind of expanded our reach, and uh, it's exciting because it's being embraced. And uh, you know, I always tell people, you know, once you wear an Alpine Stars product, you probably won't want to wear anything else. And it's not that I'm trying to pat myself on the back. I've been in this industry for 30 years. There are great manufacturers out there. Just the way we approach things, there's just that much more, how do I say, um, attention to detail because we don't make other products. We specifically focus on the athlete and the human part of the uh, envelope. So we're not making shift knobs, pedal kits and seats and seatbelts and things like that, right? So it's specific to the athlete. Uh, and that's not to say that the companies that do make those parts make bad parts. Again, if you want something that's custom tailored and it's very couture and it's made for you specifically, and it's at the top of its technology because it is so focused, I think we're the brand for you. Yeah, I was going to say uh, it works for the stick, so it works for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in indeed. Uh, what do you think? Uh, so most of our listeners obviously aren't competing as a, you know, they're, they're not drivers as a full-time job. There's a few of them. Don't get me wrong. We've got it. We got a few on here. But uh, as far as a, a layman who just like to go to an occasional track day, what do you think are the essential pieces of gear that everybody should have or that they would actually get an advantage from? Well, I mean, quite honestly, you know, I, this is a real, I don't want to say a sticking point for me, but it's its, it's a point of sometimes contention because, you know, I, I, I will also instruct and I go to driver's events and things like that, whether it's HBDs or things like that. And I find people driving around in their cars, they have a helmet on, a short sleeve shirt and shorts. And what they don't realize that things can go bad very fast, right? And you can never be overprotected. And I, I've, I've instructed and I've had seminars and safety briefings and things like that. And I often ask this question to people, and um, and I'll kind of share this with you, right? So I look at a professional athlete, you know, the Jimmy Johnsons of the world. Um, you know, if Jimmy gets hurt, he still gets paid. It doesn't matter. But Mr. Joe Amateur, who's driving his 570S, his Mustang, his M3 or whatever, who's got a family, a mortgage, a company, and what have you. If he gets hurt, well, what happens? He loses his business. He's into, you know, he's in financial duress. So I tell people, you know, if you're not a professional, you should be more prepared than the professional, quite honestly, because you have more to lose. And with that being said, that doesn't mean you have to buy the most expensive gear from us or from, you know, uh, good manufacturers. I always say good manufacturers because my thing is, you know, you should be buying good product because it's your safety ultimately. Um, but I definitely say, you know, a good helmet. That does not mean you need to spend $5,000 on a helmet. No, you don't. But you can buy a good helmet, a decent suit. I would say a thousand dollar price point for a suit is pretty fair. If, whether you buy it from us or another reputable manufacturer, that's a good starting point. You're going to want to have a head sock. You want to have gloves. You want to have some decent shoes that are fire rated, and you want to have a Hans device when you're in the car or some sort of Hutchins device, so you have that protection. Because, you know, you can go off the track and things go bad very fast. I've been there. I've done it myself. And it doesn't take much. You get trapped in a car and you can be severely injured within 15, 20 seconds of a fire starting. So, you know, what you're trying to do is extend that time that you have to get out of that car. And five seconds can be the difference between life altering injuries and being unscathed. Yeah. So I was going to say that Hans device is a pretty big must. I think uh, that shouldn't be skipped. I've seen too many injuries from that over my lifetime. So Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I mean, 
Yeah. And like I said, it's, you know, if you're going out on the track in a road car, even in a driver's school, you should have safety gear. Wear a fire suit. And people, you know, they're like, oh, oh I don't want to wear that. I don't want to be that guy walking around. Well, you know what? You also don't want to be the guy that's spending, you know, $100,000 a night in a level five trauma center because, you you know, you got burned. So, you know, um, it's, it's something that, you know, I think sanctioning bodies and people that are putting on track events need to enforce more and educate the people that are coming. You know, because if you're going to the track, it's part of a safety issue. You know, um, you wouldn't go drive around the racetrack without seatbelts. Why would you risk your life in that respect? So anyways, right. that's my that's my personal two cents after 30 years of this nonsense. <laughs> Fair point with a lot more context than most people. So uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a good segue, though. So you said 30 years of doing this. Uh, what got you your start Uh not just at Alpen Stars, but into the motorsports world, into the car world. Like, where did you, where did you come from? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you the uh, the uh, fifty cent abridged version of that of my thirty year uh, snapshot. Um, well, I mean, I started racing early on, as most kids did. Um, but honestly, it was my dad pushed me to race two wheel. Um, so I started with a little dirt bike. My dad raced uh, Grand Prix motorcycles in Europe in the fifties. And when immigrated to the States, he pushed me into a two-wheel. I didn't really particularly take to it, to be honest with you. Uh, my dad was an engineer for BMW Motorsport in the late 60s and early 70s, had some tenure at Alpina. And uh, my parents immigrated to the States in the 70s. And, you know, basically he opened up a small shop and I kind of worked at the shop and sort of had this apprenticeship upbringing and was focusing around BMWs. And subsequently, uh, my dad passed. I was in my early 20s and... Uh, met my former business partner at that time and decided to go BMW club racing and we built a business of that and that basically that company became GMG Global Motorsports Group out of Santa Ana, California, which exists today. Huh. I was yeah. I was one of the you know, founder owners. So if you do a little research, um, yeah, so I put 18 years into that company, grew it, developed it. You know, I was responsible for the product development, shop layout. I mean, I was basically the guy turning the wrenches and early years, I was the guy fixing the race car and my partner was uh, turning the steering wheel, so to speak. So, you know, in 2015, we decided to go our separate ways for many reasons, which we don't need to get into today. Um, but it was a long 18 year marriage. And, um, <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? I mean, I've traveled the world because of it. You know, subsequently, after I left that, I went on to uh, manage Momo for the US when it relaunched in 2015 did that for a while uh got back into racing with a customer in 2017 finished second in the uh pirelli drivers championship um in a 991 cup with a young lad by the name of max root who's currently racing in imsa i uh, was he was like 19 years old never raced and he won his first race out at thunder hill so we were the little guys i had the small trailer and everything but we uh we we, we brought a good show and then, uh, like I said, you know, subsequently ended up at Alpine Stars. So it's been it's been good. But I've done consulting work. I was responsible for the deal uh, to relaunch Aston Martin Racing in North America for CSJ. I negotiated that deal back in 2018 for them. So, you know, close ties to a lot of the manufacturer providers, Porsche Motorsport, Audi Customer Racing uh, over the years. So, I've you know, it's been sort of a passion, I guess you would you would call it at this point. Um, yeah. You know, I'd ironically. Um, yeah, I mean, my background has always been hands-on, so building the cars and understanding, you know, setup and chassis dynamics and things like that, and 
you know, grew a business out of a, a, a passion and was very fortunate to, uh, to do a lot, you know, and continue to learn every day. I mean, I think that's the most important thing. And I've had, I've had some excellent mentors throughout the years um, who've taught me things that, you know, you just don't learn in, in college or in a book or in engineering. Um, you learn by hands-on and trial and error. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, it's been a fun run to say the least. So, and now I'm here. So this is another next step in, uh, in my racing sort of career. And, uh, it's great. Cause I, uh, I, I always say this, you know, when I used to go to the racetrack, when I owned a company and a team, you know, there's always sort of that, I don't want to call it animosity, but I would say friendly rivalry. So you kind of have this like red dot on you when you're walking around the paddock. But now, you know, my competitors kind of red carpet opened the doors are inviting me to dinners and things like that. I'm like, hey, why aren't you guys this nice to me when I was racing against you? <laughs> well, that's because you were beating us all the time. So now I'm helping them win. So, um, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, like I said, it's it's been a really fun ride and um, it's been just a blessing to be able to, you know, take a lifelong passion and turn it into a career, a successful one and, you know, one that's allowed me to meet people from all walks of life and travel this amazing world and continue to do so. So yeah, very fortunate in that respect. Yeah. So what a, what a cool run you've had. Damn. I, uh, I'd say you're well qualified for the job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, always learning, you know, I mean, I'd like to think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, but maybe one of the bulbs that has been burning the longest at this point. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's like I said, you, you know, you got to love it. It's, it has to come from the heart. Um, you know, there's no formula in being successful in the motorsport business. You know, um, it's I always say it's not like it's another profession where you go and, you know, you do your four to four to eight years of college and you kind of have a, a path in, in motorsport and in racing. Um, there really isn't one, you know, and it's a lot of learning. There's a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of no's. But you know, staying true to your heart and believing in what you do and, you know, and, and having good people around you, most importantly, you know, they often say, oh, he's a self-made man. I'm like, uh, no, I'm, I'm only as successful as I am because I had amazing people around me that were there to bring me up and, you know, help me. Uh, and hopefully I can return that favor to, you know, someone down the road as, as, uh, as I kind of, you know, go into my retirement years in the next 20 or so. But so we got a long time of racing ahead of us. So, but um, I'm always yeah. happy to share my passion. And I think that's the biggest thing. I, I love the automobile. I love cars, motorcycles and planes. And, and uh, I love to share that with people. So I think that's uh, that's a good way to go to work for sure. Speaking of, well, I mean, Alpen Stars works with almost every big name in the industry. It's hard to, it's hard to, I remember growing up uh, just from the, the motorcycle side, seeing like, I, yeah, I, working in the industry, I always looked at what everybody was wearing from a gear perspective of what's going to be the next hot big thing because I'm going to be the one to sell it, of course. And it was like if it was almost like a credibility thing. If they weren't wearing Alpen Stars as far as boots or something, they they weren't really on the radar. They were the, that was like you didn't wear that. You weren't really sponsored, quote unquote, from an outside in perspective. Who are your big name drivers that you love working with now? I won't ask you to trash talk anybody, but I'd love to get some good stories from the track or from working with athletes. I mean, you know, like NASCAR, right? I mean, I, I, you know, I came from a sports car racing background, but, um, you know, NASCAR now has really kind of opened my eyes, especially with this new car. I mean, I, it's so impressive, you know, and what those guys are doing, you know, but, you know, the usual suspects, right? I mean, you know, we've got Jimmy Johnson, who's obviously transitioned into open wheel and he's just, he's an amazing athlete. You know, the guy's just, he's amazing. Um, you know, Chase Elliott, as of this year, has been just on fire last 
four races he's won. So he's one of our athletes, you know, uh, Bubba Wallace is in our, some of our products, you know, so those are some of the guys that, you know, I, I really enjoy spending time with, um, you know, in open wheel, um, like I said, I mean, you know, Jimmy's the man. What can I tell you? I mean, the guy is just, he's, <laughs> I just, I just like the guy, you know, uh, and Formula One, you know, I mean, we cover what half the field of, of basically Formula One and almost 95% of Formula E now uh, are all in Alpine Stars gear. So, you know, and we've had some amazing drivers, you know, uh, Mick Schumacher is obviously one of our deals. His father, Michael, was very close to Alpine Stars and, and ownership here. And there's a very close, you know, relationship there. Um you know, on the two wheel side of things, you know, the legends, right? I mean, you don't need to look too far, you know, just look at no. the top stuff at the podium and usually someone's wearing Alpine stars in, in one way or another, whether it's full gear or is it just boots and, you know, or is it, you know, something. So um, I can't say that I have one particular favorite. I think if I had to really kind of put a thing on it, I would say my favorite's probably the next up and coming, you know, and the, the kid who's out there trying, you know, I mean, that to me, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. I was, I was actually in Charlotte last week with one of our vendors and I went out to a quarter midget race, you know, and this was a Tuesday night right outside of Charlotte, you know, 120 family entries and you got these four and five-year-old kids, you know, and they're just scooting around in these little cars. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, it was, it was so humbling to be there and to be able to walk around with an Alpine Stars jacket, you know, and just kind of interact with people. And people are like, I want to, when I grow up, oh, when, I, when I fit into your clothes, I'm going to wear it exclusively and stuff like that. So, you know, just seeing the, the passion that those kids have and just the purity in, you know, their racing, you know, right? Because they're not caught up on, you know, I mean, kids now, kids get younger, they're caught up on more social media. But, you know, they're still at an age where they're innocent, you know, and their, their racing is pure emotion, you know. And I just love seeing that. I mean, to me, that's uh, that that really makes it worthwhile. What are you driving now for yourself? Oh, God. oh that's the hard question. Okay, so officially, <laughs> unofficially, I mean, like you know, what what my wife knows that I own, or what I actually own. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, oh gosh, uh, my daily the good so, stuff. Yeah, I've got a uh, M2 competition manual, a 2020, that has become sort of my daily. But I have a B7 RS4. Um, I've got, oh gosh, I've got a Audi coupe with a 1.8 T in it. I've got an E46 M3 and a 944 turbo as well. So nice. A, Excellent I, stable. Yeah, I've got some oddballs there and stuff and, you know, and then I've got a couple of race cars. Uh, one is a 951 cup. Um, I've got an E30 race car as well. And, um, uh, currently building a, Audi V8 DTM tribute car, um, which will be a fun deal. So hopefully that's done in the next year or two. And then uh, restoring one of the old Audi S4 Grand Am cars that I worked on back in 1999. So I was able to buy the rolling chassis uh, through a friend. Um, believe it or not, it was stuck out somewhere in the middle of the desert. And it was like, hey, I think you worked on this car. And I'm like, yeah, I did. He's like, well, it's for sale. You can buy it cheap. So I'm going to restore that um, money pit. And uh, yeah, hopefully do some SBRA VARA vintage racing with it. So it should be fun. It was an old 99 Grand Am car, um, B5 S4. So good stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fun. So to answer your question, uh, a lot of different cars. <laughs> Those are all really great cars, though. 
Like you don't have any boring cars in that stable at all. I like that. I was expecting to like like what you I mean because your company car you got to haul stuff around, so that's probably got to be like an SUV or something, right? Uh, well, yeah, my my company car is is an FJ, you know, so that's what we have. Yeah, you know? that's not uh, bad. That's cool. Yeah, pretty <laughs> cool. And then I have a I have a, an Audi Avant as well, a B nine wagon that I kind of haul stuff around when I when I need to. So. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I drive my cars. You know, my RS4 has got 235,000 miles on it. It's been Very cool. a solid car. Um, you know, everything else is definitely, you know, I don't I don't baby them. I don't beat on them, but I don't certainly know. They, they get driven, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so I'm always, you know, I'm always tinkering. And then I've, I've got an E30 M3 as well. So that's that's that I share with a friend of mine. So that's been that's in my awesome. life for 25 years. And that car is actually a very special story because... It was when we were starting sort of GMG and met a friend of mine who's now a very good friend, one of my best friends at the track. He needed some help with his car and his car's always kind of been in my care and I've sort of evolved into part ownership now. So this car has actually led to a 25 year, very close friendship. Um, and it continues kind of to be that glue for us and stuff. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool, you know, when you, when you have those stories to talk about, so I was going to say, you've got to have some good stories with those cars. There's a lot of, you got a lot of stories with a lot of cars. I would love to hear more stories about, I mean, about you and cars. So do you have I, a favorite like track memory, road trip memory? Yeah. You know, I mean, oh God, favorite car. You know, I should say the one that I let get away and there's a couple, right? So I had a, uh, an 04996 GT2, which I should have never sold because I sold it at the Lola market when they were like $85,000. So I'm, I'm oh. thinking my, it was <laughs> It was a white one, one of 17 cars, uh, 17 white cars sold. Then I had um, a V8 R8 manual 2010, which that was like the car. Like people that knew me knew me because of that car. So that was a car, again, I kicked myself for selling. And then uh, I had an 85 Audi Urquattro um, that I sold 12 years ago. But again, the car is in the Northeast and I'm still friends with the owner today. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's with a good home. So I've got good memories, you know, and then, and then there's been, you know, there's been stuff. I had a, I had an Alpina C227 E30, um, that unfortunately was stolen. Um, uh, but again, that car was, uh, because of a 30 year friendship, you know, and my friend who used to own it lives in Taiwan. Um, and we're still very close and he knew my dad and just, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate to make some amazing friends all over the world um, because of cars and been able to maintain those. So I just, like I said, I'm like a car geek, I guess, you know, I just, I just like cars and it doesn't have to be like European stuff. Like I, I just had an 88 RX seven and F uh, was that FC. It was yep. a one owner ETU car manual. Love that thing. It was like a high school dream car. So I finally ended up buying one and it was like been sitting in storage for 15 years uh, at a one owner car that I found here in Southern California had that for a while so i kind of do a lot of the catch and release so to speak i enjoy some things and then you know i'm not worried about trying to profit off of them necessarily um but i just enjoy them and if i can share that with people and you know have some fun with it and keeps me keeps my sanity when i can work on them i guess so i don't get to do that during the day like i used to so yeah, it's fun so to play with cars though yeah i had a couple i had a 93 fdr seven for a while and i've had an 85 late model 944 like we've had a lot of crossover cars that i really enjoy yeah. i'm glad to hear you had a 944 in it, or a turbo 951 in the fleet so yeah, one of my yeah. all-time favorite cars i mean truth be told over the last 30 years i've probably had about 18 944s i mean i've had Dang. a lot of them yeah yeah love those cars 
so underappreciated and i hope they remain underappreciated so enthusiasts can like you use them and buy them and enjoy them and not turn into another you know speculation thing like the, the air-cooled market has turned into you know it's 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 just it's you know it's unfortunate the market has really kind of turned and it's really pushing the enthusiast away um because you know you could buy some really cool cars for reasonable money back in the day and now you know a a, a Gerolic 911 air-cooled car is fifty thousand dollars and yeah. you know that's before you spend another 40 to get it drivable yeah it's I, i'm it's sort of correcting a little bit slowly, but I used to bank on that a lot as I would buy about like my last car, my last new car I had was a, well, not new. I guess I had, I had a 991.1 Turbo S. Before that, I had a C7Z06 that I bought new, but I bought it about three years after it came out, about a, a 16 and late 16. And I bought it for a little below, like 10 grand or 12 grand below MSRP. Right. And now that car is worth like 20 grand more than I sold it for used. Yeah. Just like, who's paying that for that car? That, that value is not there. It was a fun car, but it was like a jackhammer trying to drive a nail. There's nothing refined about it. It was just fun. And right. so it, it blows my mind trying to shop for cars now. So I'm holding out and hoping the market does a correction back to just normal, not depressed, but just a normal market would be fantastic. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think there's there, there's still some good buys out there, you know, but I also think, you know, I mean, you know, I'm in my mid 40s, right? In our generation, the cars that were in the mid 80s to early 90s, right? where most of the guys our age are at a point where they're stable in their careers they can afford it they've got some discretionary income and i think a lot of that is where you're seeing those prices being driven up you know for the jdm stuff the european cars maybe not so much with the domestic stuff but i mean if you kind of roll back time a little you go 10 years i mean that's basically what was happened for the cars from the 70s right you know 10 years yeah. ago cars were crazy money right because those guys could still enjoy them um, and, uh, you know, and they were driving the prices up. So, I mean, I mean, I think it's a bull market, quite honestly. Um, I hope it stabilizes for everyone's sake, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next, you know, one to five years for the enthusiast, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. So. Yeah, we hit it right on the head. It's the night right now. It's the stuff that we thought was cool in high school, and now, like you said, we're we're about the same age. I'm in my mid forties as well, and like that stuff's starting to like we've got stable careers, stable jobs, and now it's like okay, now I can finally get that car I always wanted. So that '90s JDM stuff that was that was really hot when we were in high school, and the '90s Euro stuff too, because uh, uh, that stuff's booming right now. Late '90s and early 2000s GTIs, any Supra, Supras have been hot forever now. The uh, uh, third gen Supras and stuff, but and RX sevens, but. Yeah, I still want a 300ZX twin turbo, even though they're terrible to work on. I just think they're cool. But anyway. Yes, yes. That's one car I've wanted, and I haven't bought one yet. Uh, yes. Same here. I, yeah, I say yes. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. See what's on Craigslist tonight when I get home. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's, yeah, my usual routine, too. Go home, see if anything just pops up. So you spend, uh, we were talking a little bit before the show. You spent a little time up our way, though, up in the Seattle area. I mean, obviously, we're in California, too, but. Uh, especially with our big launch at the Peterson this last weekend. But uh, you said you're up at uh, Dirtfish a lot. You guys, uh, Alpha Stars is a pretty big grip and rally and has for a very long time. I have a hat signed by Pastrana that I got signed when I was like 19, and I had him sign it again. Now he's in rally. He's like, hey, same sponsor, <laughs> same hat. <They're laughs> so cool. it still applies. <laughs> yeah. No, rally is obviously something that's uh, near and dear to us. Um, 
Dirtfish in particular, they are a partner to us. So they're just an amazing organization to work with. Uh, let me tell you, I mean, you don't have to twist my arm too hard to get up that th those areas. It's just beautiful up there. So I, I really enjoy the time I, I have an opportunity to spend with the people at Dirtfish. And, you know, I've gone through their school. And uh, it's, it's interesting because I come from a road racing background, right? So anything you learn in road racing, you might as well just kind of throw it out the window. Um, <laughs> and so it's, uh, it was definitely an eye opener. And I just, you know, I'm a big Group B rally fan. So growing up, you know, I, I was the 13-year-old boy who was madly in love with Michelle Mouton when I met her, you know, at the Monte Carlo Rally. Um, oh, so jealous. Yeah. She's my dream interview. Still in love with <laughs> Michelle Mouton. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just like Stick Blumpist and all those guys, Ari, um, you know, I mean, I, I just love that era in racing because it was, you know, never again will we have anything like that. And it was diabolical. And, you know, it's it's romanticized today. But the fact of the matter is anyone who tells you who tells you that they were involved in it knows that those cars were, you know, they were a handful and they were not reliable and they were breaking all the time. And, you know, it was just it was it was the wild, wild west, you know, so. Uh, I like I said I, I just love that I love that time and that period so I'm uh, when I can get myself on some dirt you know it's something that's a lot of fun that's uh, you, you don't have to ask me twice and you know just made some great people up there um, you know we've got a couple of great dealers up there 425 Motorsports is one of them um, you know I'm, I'm, I'm gotten really close with Don Kitch over at Pacific Raceways and his performance racing school you know I tell you what that's a guy you need to interview I mean you want a life story. Don oh, we've, had Don on the, we've had Don on the show uh, a couple times, actually. He's a, he's a good friend, and we're, they are Avant's partners. All Dirtfish, Performance, 425, they're all Avant's partners as well. Yeah. And so we, yeah, talked to quite a, we talked to them a lot. They're great. Yeah. Actually, yeah. to be told, Don is the guy who gave me your magazine the first time over a year ago. One oh. of the initial was <laughs> up to see him, and he's like, here you go. You know, and he's just, I love him. He's <laughs> larger than life. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he's a character for sure. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I raced against him in IMSA uh, when, you know, we ran our cars. I never met him personally and stuff. And when we started talking, we knew so many people, you know, when he's like, oh, this person, that person. I'm just like, wow. Talk about six degree of separation, right? I mean, it was just like, holy cow. So, yeah, he's great. He's, he's kind of, I don't want to say he's like become a father figure, but he's definitely become a mentor. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just, he's just, I just love him. He's just a good guy. You know, people you want to be around. Yeah, and he's always got a great story you actually want to listen to. He's one of those guys. He's not who's just telling stories. He's stories you want to hear, so you just keep talking to him. Right, <laughs> but, right. Yeah, we always say that the motorsports world and cars in general, it's just one degree of separation. Everybody knows everybody through like one person, guaranteed. I've never found that to be different. Nick and I have always laughed that everybody we know knows everybody we know, but they may not know us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, getting back to your uh, Southern California launch party, what an amazing event. I mean, wow. I mean, I, I, I drove an hour and a half. I mean, I lived down in South Orange County and I was like, ah, am I going to go? Am I not going to go? And I was like, ah, I'm, I'm just going to make the drive. So I, I, I took the drive up and wow, it was like a reunion. I probably ran into 25 people that I knew and I didn't see. And because I'd just been so busy with work traveling. Um, so it was just really nice to just be part of it. And it just seemed like, you know, I had such a great mix of people you know, um, and it was just a good vibe, you know, and I just, I just love that, you know, and just, we need, we need more of that in today's crazy world where people can come together and just share their passion and really enjoy it. And the cool mix, the cool thing about it was the mix of cars that were there. You know, it wasn't, you know, one particular, uh, brand or it was, you know, I mean, there was a guy with like an 88 Testarossa parked next to, uh, Alancia Delta, to, you know, a good friend of ours, Sean Lee, had a 928 S4 he had just bought. 
you know, and there's a guy with a 720S and then there's the, this, you know, E36 out there. So, you know, and a couple of, you know, uh, A86 Corollas, I was just like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know? So it was, it was good. I, I love, I love that it's all embracing, you know, and that's, uh, I think you guys are onto something really cool there. Yeah, we do pride ourselves on doing something a little bit different, even in the online community too. Like you just, you have so many people from so many different walks of life and there's nobody really hating on anybody. People can ask questions and actually get answers. There's none of this long BS of memes of people just saying, you know, just joking with it. They're like, no, if you want, if you have a question, you're, you're going to get an answer. Somebody here is going to have had like five of those cars, no matter how weird you think it is, or have been under one or know somebody who designed it in half the case, which is always blows my mind. <laughs> and then it's and that's what i love about the community it's like exactly like you said there's so much variety we'll have you know off-road trucks pull up next to a mclaren you're like whatever they both like each other's cars <laughs> yeah yeah no cool. it's, it's nice to see we definitely need more of that you know especially in the automotive community which you know i think i don't know maybe i'm jaded but i felt like it was kind of getting seg segregated um particularly when you'd go to cars and coffee events you know down here it was just kind of like one group and what have you and it's it you know it doesn't need to be about that right we're all trying to enjoy our passion you know and i like i said i can go to a lowrider event and i'll tell you i will appreciate every single thing those guys do just as much if i'm going you know to a monster jam or uh you know or an off-road event you know or going to the historics for that matter so like i just i just love the mechanical side of that and you know like to just really hear people's stories, right? Because each car has kind of got a unique story of how and why and, and who for that matter. And, you know, again, it brings people together like we are here today. So, you know, that's that's a win. Yeah, you you mentioned your dad worked at Alpina, you said, uh, back in the day, right? Yes. I wonder if he knows Peter Gleason or if Peter Gleason knows him. Just being an Alpina collector, Peter has some massive, he has a, not a little bit, he has a massive uh collection of alpina stuff just from back oh, in the wow. original days i always okay. wonder yeah. i was one of those people that i'm like hmm, i wonder if they know each other or knew each other back in the day he would be the type. So, yeah yeah it would have been there late. anyway yeah definitely small world i'll uh if, if i run into him i'll uh, i'll be sure to mention that uh well lisa that is for that matter but yeah, yeah. no i mean long long time uh long time big bmw guy you know um was actually involved when he was at motorsport uh in the original uh, E9 CSL campaign that Hunchstuck uh, drove. So if you're familiar with, there's a picture or a poster of Stuck in a blue E9 CSL at the Nurburgring, kind of all four wheels off the ground. It's, it's oh, another, yeah. Uh, so my dad was involved with that, that particular car. So pretty cool. That's awesome. What, uh, what cars are you excited about most right now? Is there anything coming up, even in motorsports? I'm just curious, like, what turns you're seeing that's just from, from your inside perspective, what you're most excited to see? Um, wow, what, what I'm excited to see. I mean, I, I can't be honest with you. I kind of go back to the whole NASCAR thing. I mean, this car of the, the future is pretty damn cool. You know, when you really get there's a lot of tech in it. You know, it's got a transaxle, center lock wheels. I mean, it's, 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 it's. it's a huge departure for what NASCAR was. And I think that's impressive. You know, F1, obviously, you know, it's always the top tier and, you know, everyone's got their opinions of, you know, this driver, that driver, this team, that team. Um, you know, so I, I you know, I, I watch F1. I'm a fan, but I'm not like, well, wow, you know, this is the greatest tech. Um, the new LMDH program that's coming to IMSA and WEC uh, is going to be exciting. I think with a lot of the manufacturers getting behind that. Um, with a lot of the, uh, the hypercar technology. So I think we'll see a lot of that trickle down uh, to road cars. Um, 
and I, you know, that's that's be, be honest with you, that's that's kind of it, you know, for street cars. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, I think the Porsche product, you know, which I'm very near and dear to, is getting crazy. I mean, when I say crazy, I mean if you look at the new GT3 RS, I mean that's just like a full-on race car for the road. So I mean, I, th those things are getting out of control, you know. And uh, I love I love me a 911. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just like, is it what? When is too much? When is it too much? You know, I kind of look at it that way. And maybe that's just a that's just a function of me getting older. Um, but you know, for a road car, that's, that's exciting today. I mean, BMW's got a great product with the M3, M4, although those cars have gotten big. The new, the new Audi RS3 is supposed, supposed to be dynamic. I'm supposed to go drive one this weekend. Um, and then, uh, obviously Chevrolet's got a great car in the Corvette. I mean, whether you like it or not, I'm not a Corvette fan, but you know, for the money, you can't beat that car. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a lot of performance. Um, and then, you know, and you've got some of the smaller Toyotas and stuff. They've just released those, uh, what is it? The, uh, the Toyota RSGR. Yeah. The I mean, GR coming out. Yeah. yeah Sorry, I mean, my lights just went off. That's great. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Sorry. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff on the market, but I mean, I think, you know, manufacturers need to get back to pure driving experiences with cars, cars becoming mundane. You know, I know there's a huge initiative for the electric stuff and, you know, I, I have my I have my reservations about some of that stuff. I mean, I know that's where the world is going, but um, I think manufacturers need to kind of put some excitement back into cars. And, you know, and, and quite honestly, that's kind of why I bought my M2 competition. Um, yeah, I was going to say. It's a manual. It's a small two-door car. It's about the size of an E46. Great performance. Um, it you know seats fold down. You can throw your mountain bike in it. I mean, it's just a very very useful car, and it's not crazy in terms of its price. You know, it's like you can live with it. You know, you can you can go out and buy it. And you know, even if you buy the, the Gen One, as they call the OG M2, uh, not a competition, they're good cars and they can be had at reasonable prices. You know, so um, yeah, for me, I spent even a lot. I was going to say, even the M240 is a great car. Even if you don't get the M2, the 240 is fantastic. It's a yeah. great car. And it's really, I think that's what the M3 really should have been. I'm a little, I like, even the, the M3 is great. Don't get me wrong. Everybody who drives it says it's fantastic. And the M4 as well. But the M2, I really think is like, this is really what, when people think of the M3 and have grown up with the M3, that's really what yeah. the M2 embodies. That seems like the more natural evolution of the M3. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's funny. I, uh. I parked the E30 M3, the E46, and the M2 next to it. And you, when you do that, you realize how small the E30 M3 is and how big the M2 competition is in, in modern day. Like when you actually look at them next to each other, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's the, the, the F87 M2. Is just, it's just a great car. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I, can't, I can't fault it for anything. Well, maybe one thing. There's no place to put the key. So you kind of have this key in your pocket. So that's something I hate about that car. But other than that, I mean, pretty good gas mileage. Uh, the fuel tank's kind of small. You're at the pump twice a week. Uh, it's got a little 12-gallon tank in it. So that's that's one thing that I don't like. But, yeah, I mean, as far as cars today, that's probably one of the more exciting cars that are out there, you know, within reasonable price. Now, sure, you know, yeah. you start getting into 488s and 720s and all sorts of stuff like that, and, you know, you can get really excited, you know, with the new Porsche product, you know, but even looking at that, you know, if you look at a 911, you know, I spent some time in a 992 GTS manual. And quite honestly, I think it's the best all around Porsche that you can buy. 
I mean, um, coming out of a 991 GT3, which I had a 2015 for a while, a car kind of beat you up. You know, you really couldn't drive it every day. And the, the 992 GTS has GT3-like performance, but it's got the comfort. And I, again, I'm not trying to go set lap records on weekends at PCH and Cars and Coffee, you know. So, again, I'm a little jaded having driven cup cars and raced and done all that stuff. So, a road car is pretty disappointing after a couple laps on a racetrack for me, you know, and you're like, eh, you yeah. know, no matter what's a GT2 or a GT3 RS, whatever, you know, the tires go away, the suspension starts to get soft and, you know, you're like, eh, this isn't really a lot of fun, you know, after three laps, right? And when you're pushing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there isn't really, there's really a lot out there right now that you're like, oh man, I really want to go out and buy that, you know? So yeah, I'm pretty happy with the M2. I, I can't say I've had it for two years now, and it's like, okay, still puts a smile on my face. I still turn around and look back at it when I'm walking away, you know, and I'm just like, if I had to buy something else, what could I buy, especially in that price point? I don't really think there's much out there. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a Nick and I are members at Haggerty Garage and Social, formerly Drivers Club here, and one of the things we've seen with many of the members there and just the, the members who have storage there is, I mean, there's a lot of exotic cars in there, to say the least. It's like walking into Cars and Coffee and seeing every best of best exotic car there is. But most of those guys have M2s and small sports cars, Miatas, things, uh, F Skyon FCs, uh, what, uh, the FRS, whatever you want to call it, that chassis, the BRZ, Subarus, and stuff like that. They still have those and they still like those. And I like that trend that, that those guys aren't just out there to, to flaunt the, the hottest, newest, most expensive thing. Like They actually like driving those other cars. And that's one thing we try and carry over is that you'll see a lot of it in this group is that just because even those guys may have those cars, the McLaren 720s and things like that, they actually probably still like your Miata and your M2 as well because they're just great driving cars. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you, it's an experience, right? You know, you're, you're, you're yeah. not disconnected, you know, and, uh, you know, like I said, going back to the M2, I think it's the only modern BMW that still offers a driving experience, you know, where you can... Like I said, you can shift the car, you know, and, it, and it's it's bummed, right? Because I, I go back and I drive my RS4 and I love it, right? It's manual V8, 4.2, sounds great. And, you so know, good. Audi, outside of the, the manual R8, hasn't really built a manual car in a decade now, you know. And I was a huge Audi fanboy, as I call myself, you know, and I, I had every iteration I could possibly think of. Um and now I really don't have anything to drive. And I, I'm going to drive this new RS3 uh, this weekend because I'm interested in it. And I'm just kind of like, I, I don't know. It's just not, I, I just, it's not exciting. I mean, it's not, I'm like, it's, it's an automatic. I mean, how good could it be? Sure, it's going to shift much faster than I ever will in a manual. I mean, I, I get that. But again, is that reality? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is reality sitting on the 405 freeway like I have to every day. So, but so far I'm not complaining. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's a great car i have an uh, s3 daily as well and it's 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 fantastic but it's not a manual and it's a i love driving all the time it's a perfect little run around daily driver car but uh, you do not get the same driving experience and i actually completely agree with you i was having a longtime friend and listener todd has a had a just sold it actually a, a 911 carrera 4 gts and he and in my opinion i told him i said i think you have the perfect pacific northwest driver's car 
because there is so much rain up here. The all-wheel drive actually does help quite a bit. But he was, I was like, if you're going to have one car, and you could only have one car for your whole stable, and he doesn't, I said, that's probably what I'd choose. Because I had my Turbo S as well, but uh, it was it was almost like it was overkill, honestly, for, for daily driving, to say the right. least. But the Carrera 4 GTS is just, man, in the Pacific Northwest, where we have a lot of like inclement weather to deal with, weather to deal with I don't think there's a better car on the road for every aspect of anything you'd want to do. It's not going to be the best at anything, but it's going to be the best all around at everything. So, Right, anyway. right. Yeah, very, very, very true. Yeah, no doubt about that. So SoCal, all the fun cars. You got any favorite roads down there? I gotta ask because I love the back roads in California. Oh God, you know, yeah. I mean, you can you can get lost for days in the back roads here. I mean, you know, all the canyon roads, obviously the usual suspects um, in Los Angeles. Um, you know, Mulholland. Uh, you know, and, and everything else. Yeah. But you start going down into San Diego. You know, I think there's a lot of undiscovered great drives out there, Palomar and things like that. So. Um, you start going up into Big Bear and, and those areas, there's just, you know, um, there, there's just a lot. I mean, there's, you know, you can never run out of roads driving in, in Southern California, that's for sure, um, you know. But I will say this, we do not have the beautiful green, lush topography that you do in the Pacific Northwest. So um, I, I, I will say I'm jealous of that, you know. We got a lot of good desert roads out here and stuff, but um yeah, there's 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 plenty of driving, you know, out here. I, do I have a favorite one? I don't know. I mean, I probably depends on the day in the car. That's probably a better question. <laughs> fair, fair answer. Okay, I won't I won't call it a cop out because yeah, that's very true. Different cars for different roads when you got a stable like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say you know I wouldn't say Southern California, but I'd say Central California. My favorite road is. Uh, you know, a little Laguna Seca, you know, is uh, it's probably my favorite. So if I had to choose it. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's always worth driving. All right, Fabrice, uh, thank you for coming on the show, talking about yourself and for Alpen Stars. Uh, there's a lot more to you than just selling Alpen Stars. I'm glad you have, <laughs> you have quite the history. <laughs> well, anytime you want a little dive in a little deeper, you let me know. Listen, congratulations on all the growth. I mean, this is exciting times. Uh, you know, the book is amazing. You know, I, I have it at home. I've had people come over and they're picking it up and they're loving it. You know, I was a big magazine guy, you know, cause again, I'm late nineties, early two thousands. So it was a big European car subscriber, excellence type thing. And it's, it's nice to see something that's printed, um, and it's done so well and awesome content, you know, and it's just, like I said, just, a, just a good vibe. So, you know, that's why I became a member, quite honestly, uh, which, you know, gets me to be excited. And, you know, as far as us as a brand, you know, Alpine Stars, we're, we're always excited about opportunities and working with, with uh, collaborations like yourself. Uh, and really just, you know, again, sharing our passion with uh, people who love things on two wheels and four wheels, the automobile, the motorcycle and everything in between. And, you know, just kind of growing our community. Right. So it's, uh, it's short life. Might as well enjoy it with good people. Couldn't agree more. Uh, if you actually you come to the Northwest, and like you said, you're up here relatively often. Uh, let me know. Let us know. We'll gladly take you wherever you want to go. Give you some cars to drive and have some fun out in the back roads. Ours oh, take a little yeah. more abuse than yours with all the weather, but uh, we're happy to share the experience. So we'd oh, love to have you. I'll I'll definitely take you up on that. That's for sure. So you can you can good count on that. All right. Well, for this episode of the Avance Podcast, I'm Dan, and Nick is sick with COVID. So don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.